It's Wednesday. It's not Saturday. It's almost Saturday. <laughs> We're late again. But there's a good reason. Yeah, there's a good reason. The reason is that I started school again. That's the good reason. It's, it's not actually a great reason, but it's the reason. So now I'm back to trying to juggle school and work and the show and a life. Okay. I always have to remind you. My name is Kim. And I am Steve. And you're listening to an hour of your life. Now you can get into your excuses. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm back at school. Luckily, I'm only taking one class, but it's a really hard. I mean, I don't know that's really hard. It's just a very time-consuming class. It's my last one. Very excited. Uh, so we're back to being off schedule. We were on schedule for like a week. We were ahead of the game for like yeah. a week. <laughs> and then, but that's all right. Uh, I do want to give a couple of shout outs real quick before we get started. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my little bro, Brandon Rice, and his lovely bride, Nikki, who are uh, just found out that they're expecting a son. Uh, so congratulations on your first little baby boy. Um, and congratulations as well to our friends, Chad and Erica, who uh, took advantage of quarantine and the crazy times that we're living in to start a new band called New Wave Vendetta. Um, and they scored a couple of big interviews this week. Uh, so they're, I think their first EP uh, dropped sometime this week or next week. Uh, they have a single out right now. It's a um, cover of a Misfits tune. So if you are able to check them out, go look for New Wave Vendetta. Unless you have been living in a cave, this is an election year here <laughs> in the United States. <laughs> And it's, and we're it's down just to, getting started, unfortunately. I mean, fortunately, I feel like it hasn't been that bad this year. That might be the only good, and I hate to say that, but that might be the only good of this virus. It has yeah. shortened down the election season. You know, I was thinking about it the other day. Everybody talks about what a rough year 2020 has been, and I'm sure for a lot of people it has been, but I was looking back at my year in review thus far, and for me it's been a, a pretty interesting year like I got a new job we moved it like it's been really a different a lot of things happened this year we kept busy during this but I mean there was still it, it, we drove each other nuts a little bit yeah <laughs> in lockdown I, I saw this morning the statistic that divorces are up 34 percent more please don't divorce me no 34, 34% more from the time from when the say March till now than they were from the year before. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, they're, I'm they're really just, curious. We have a friend who's a divorce lawyer, and I don't know if she listens to the show, but I'd be interested to hear her take on all of this. Yeah. I should ask her. She's staying busy. So anyway, it's election year. It is. Sorry, I got Every off four topic. years with the president. I mean, we have elections every year, but this mm -hmm. is a presidential election year, which is a big deal. And, and it's a centennial year for women's suffrage, right? Isn't this the year that uh, I think women I, got the right to vote in 1920? I think so. So, yeah. so it's a big year. So where we're we gonna, going with this? We're, we're, yeah, we're not, this show is not going to be about politics, but no. it's going to be about the White House. Yeah. Where all of our presidents, except for one, lived. And, you know, we're... Let me just start You here. just messed up the, your first bullet because it was formed as a question. What house? And you just gave the answer. Oh, oh. <laughs> so what house has six stories, 
55,000 square feet of floor space, 132 rooms, 35 bathrooms, 412 doors, 147 windows, 28 fireplaces, 8 staircases, 3 elevators, 5 full-time chefs, a tennis court, a single lane, oh, it's only a single lane bowling alley. Cheap. A movie theater, a jogging track, a swimming pool, a putting green, and receives up to 30,000 visitors each week. It's not our house. Could it be the White House? It, how did you know? <laughs> so, I think that's really interesting. Some of these numbers, um, it's really... 35 bathrooms? It's a price... Well, and we're. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later, that the press only gets two of them. Do you think the First Ladies get any help from the presidents when it's time to clean the bathrooms? I don't think the first ladies are cleaning the bathrooms, but I think it is really interesting that there's only, it's 55,000 square feet. Um, I wonder what the average home is. Like ours is not huge. It's 1800 square feet. It's, I would say ours is probably an average size house, I'm, I'm, but yeah. 155,000 square feet, but only three elevators. I would have expected more. The Okay, Especially so we said, because we had a president in a wheelchair. Well, we'll talk about that. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about that. So the White House, while it is approximately 55,000 square feet, the guest house used for visiting dignitaries is even bigger, Whoa. which the Blair House is actually 70,000 square feet. So that they get a lot huge. of visitors. Yeah. Where is, do you know where the Blair House is in relation to the White House? Yeah, we've walked by it. It's kind of like on the same property. I mean, it's like just I northwest. I, I mean, you could probably throw a good baseball and hit it from the White House, I, I guess. I think I know where it is. I think we've walked by it before. It's like a big gray building. And mm. it's, I mean, it's pretty, but it's not like, I mean, it's not the White House. Well, we thought that the presidential election coming up in a few months would probably should talk about where all the presidents have lived since yeah. John Adams in 1800. I, I didn't think there would be so much, and this is another reason it's late. It's like the, the Civil War episode. I didn't think there would be so much, it would be hard to gather information on the White House. It turns out there's so much information, there was information overload. <laughs> and you know, we, I want to cover, we wanted to cover this story and tell the history of the White House, yeah. but it, you, I just had to sort through all the different architectural stuff. And again, as I, I had everything prepared, and then I started reading through it, and I was like, this is really boring. I feel a little bad because I kind of started the research this week, and so I, because I started it, I took all the fun stuff, and I was like, hey, why don't you do this instead? Yeah. And uh, you kind of got yeah, lost. So, left so, I mean, it, the there were a lot of, lot of notes, and then I went back and I read it, and I said, no, we can't do this, because we, we got to somehow get out the important things in the story and the history of it, yeah. but leave out all the... And I thought that we would be that this would be a one-off episode. We're just going to do one st- one show about the White House. We have eighteen pages of notes about the White House, so yeah, this so is definitely going to be a two-parter. Yeah. So, look, I but have- it's a really interesting story. It's a very interesting building. It's one of the most storied buildings in our nation. You think about the people that have passed through its doors. I mean, aside from just our presidents, but the world leaders that have seen if those walls could talk. Well, today's episode is about the building itself. 
and not all the events and the shenanigans that have taken place in the building, but we are going to cover some of those because I think that's part of the history. history. Absolutely. So the White House is the official residence and the workplace of the President of the United States. It is located at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest in Washington, D.C., and the White House is actually currently listed on Zillow. <laughs> I find that funny. The real estate app Zillow, um, while this particular posting was made years earlier, the White House is still currently listed on the popular website. Um, it is listed as not for sale, and you can't get any pictures of it beyond just like the front, the front of it, and like the stock photos. Um, but it is now valued at well over $400 million, and it's not for sale right now. It's so, not for sale right so now. So you can't bid on the White House. Okay. So, well, the, the, the White House was designed by an Irish-born architect named James Hoban. And here we, we do need to talk a little bit about this. It was designed in the neoclassical style. Now, neoclassical architecture is an architectural style produced by the neoclassical movement that began in the mid-18th century in Italy and France. And I bet you didn't think I knew that, did you? I know you didn't know that. I didn't know that. I had to (laughs) Google what neoclassical was. So Hoban modeled the building on the Leinster House in Dublin. And that's a building today in Dublin which uh, houses the Irish legislature. So that's that's where the design actually came from or what inspired him to do this. I actually read somewhere, and I don't know, you may cover this too, but there's like a twin White House in France too. And I think there's a, I wonder if this is the twin, there's like a couple of quote unquote twin White Houses well, in different places around the world. I think you'll see is there was reconstruction modeling. They kind of based uh, yeah. some of the, the new architecture off some of this. And we will cover some of that here in a little bit. So construction took place between 1792 and 1800 of the original White House. And if you go online, especially to like whitehouse.gov, there are pictures or drawings, etchings, paintings of what it looked like, even like a lot of the interior rooms. In 2007, the White House was ranked on the American Institute of Architects list of America's favorite architecture. So it is a, I mean, it is a good looking building. It's a nice building. There's no doubt about it. I will, I will say that I asked Steve when we were talking about this the other day, well, White House was ranked second. What's the first? And he's like, I don't know. And, but you know what? You threw out a good idea. What do you, do you remember what you said? I said, Maybe the Capitol building? I would think the Capitol building, if you've never visited, it's really neat. It's a really cool building. I mean, it looks neat from the outside with the dome and everything, but when you go inside, inside that dome, it's painted and there's lots of gold. It's really pretty. So um, the Secret Service actually can't always be everywhere, surprisingly. So they've gotten really creative over the years in figuring out how to keep the president safe at all times. I think this is so cool. Yeah. Secret Service agents are allowed in the Oval Office if invited, but they're usually stationed outside so the president can have privacy whenever <laughs> necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to, you know, smoke... We're not a, going there. To smoke a cigar or whatever when that door is closed and the Secret Service doesn't have eyes on POTUS, they have access to the president's movements through weighted pads along the floor that mark every movement. Yep, I bet. (laughs) So following his April, we're talking about George Washington, his April 1789 inauguration, George Washington actually occupied two private houses in New York City as, at that time, what they called the executive mansion. He lived at the, the first place he lived was uh, was called the Franklin House, and it was owned by the Treasury Commissioner Samuel Osgood. 
and that was located at 3 Cherry Street in New York City through late February 1790. Now, the executive mansion, which is actually what the White House is, is formally, formally called, um, the executive mansion moved to the larger quarters of the Alexander Makeham House at 39 to 41 Broadway. 39 where, to 40. We only get one street I know, address, right? okay? He gets... Where, where Washington and his family stayed with, you know, George and his wife and a small staff until August 1790. And then in uh, May... It must have been a lot bigger staff if it took up three addresses. Well, we're going to talk about how big the staff was in a little bit. And I, the idea of, like, the size of the White House now versus the size of Washington staff is just laughable. Um, but anyway, in May 19... Or May 1970. May 1790, uh, New York started construction of a quote-unquote proper house for the president. Um, it was called the Government House. Huh. I know. Creative, right? Washington never used that mansion because... I'm a it, namer, you know. I know. Oh, God. Don't start. Steve thinks that because he has, like... No, we got the DNA test. There's none. Oh, Steve at one point thought that he had Native American ancestry, and so he was really good at navigating. But it's, it, it has nothing to do with his Native American ancestry. He's just good at navigating. And apparently... He's also good at naming things. He calls himself a namer. I'm a namer. He's a namer. So he would have named, I mean, he probably would have also named it Government, government House, House. <laughs> because he's a really good namer. Anyway, uh, <laughs> General Washington never used the mansion because it wasn't completed until after the national capital was moved to Philadelphia in December 1790. For some reason, if I misspeak, by the way, I apologize in advance. As I'm reading this, like I'm having to really not flip my numbers and say 1970. So if I say 1970, I mean 1790. Anyway, the July 1790 Residence Act designated the capital be permanently located in the new federal district, temporarily in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for 10 years while the permanent capital was built. So uh, Washington and his crew got to live in Philly while the, or well, it wasn't Washington by then, but um, the president and the families got to live in Philadelphia while the actual executive mansion was built in Washington, D.C. Um, Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, rented the mansion of the wealthy merchant Robert Morris at 190 High Street, which is now 524 to 530 Market Street as the president's house. Um, which Washington did occupy from November 1790 to March 1797. And since the house was too small to accommodate the 30 people that made up the presidential family, staff, and servants, Washington had it enlarged. So could you imagine if the White House functioned with a staff, a full staff of only 30 people today? Nope. I, they couldn't do it. Um, I wonder what size the staff is now. We'll have to figure that out maybe maybe for next week. Um, President John Adams also occupied the High Street Mansion from March 1797 to May 1800. And on Saturday, November 1st, 1800, he became the first president to occupy the White House. Um, so the president's house in Philadelphia was converted into the Union Hotel. And this is so sad. And it was later used for stores, and then it was demolished in 1832, which... I think that's awful. So um, I know History Channel does a thing like Save Our History. So if you guys ever get an urge to to donate to some of these organizations that um, either save or restore historic buildings, uh, do it. Because the president's house was demolished after it became some stores. And that's really unfortunate. 
Philadelphia began construction of a much grander presidential mansion. I wonder if that's just a sign of how things have developed because obviously they could care less back then. They didn't think it was important. I wonder if that's just an importance that we place on it now, like with national historic registers and stuff like that. I mean, it's preserving history, I guess. Yeah, well... Why didn't they even consider that then? Well, but and that's another thing. I mean, if you look at it, I guess that's a good point. If you look at things now... Um, you know, what what stores and, and buildings and landmarks that we are building now that we don't really think much about, but that one day may be of historical well, significance. I'm personally glad they created like the National Historic Registry to save these buildings so mm-hmm. we could go and look at it. And I think they're, oh, yeah. I love history and going to the old buildings and the, yeah, the places I mean, like that. I know uh, my obligatory Dayton uh, insertion. The Wright Brothers bicycle um, shop where they designed the world's first airplane uh, is still standing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it's because of the, nat- and it's it's going to be as original as possible because of the National Registry of Historic Places. So I think it, it does a really good work. Um, but back to the playhouse. So Philadelphia began construction of a bigger mansion uh, several blocks away in 1792, and it was almost completed by the time of Adams's. Um, 1797 inauguration. However, President Adams declined to occupy it, saying he didn't have congressional authorization to lease the building. So it remained vacant until it was sold to the University of Pennsylvania in 1800. Okay, so you you said that um, you you were talking about the building the building. I think what they were actually doing is they were laying out and designing the entire Washington, D.C., yeah, yeah. Um, because that was the goal, is they wanted to build a capital city. Yeah, so and that would be Pierre, or Peter, Charles Lafont. Lafont. He had a plan for Washington, D.C., which included a residence for the president. So this is where it gets interesting. Washington and his Secretary of State, Thomas Jefferson, both had personal interest in architecture, and they agreed that the design of the White House and the Capitol would be chosen in a design competition. Today, let's go back to LaFont for a second. Today, there is a major metro station in the heart of the mall called LaFont Plaza, and that's where you would get off to go see the, oh, yeah. uh, the Smithsonian. That's where I've heard it before. Yeah, I was like, I knew I've heard yeah. of that somewhere. Yeah. So although all proposals for the Capitol, listen to this now. Tell me there's not something fishy. Mm-hmm. All proposals for the Capitol were rejected, and acceptable drawings for the White House submitted by James Hoban were selected from several, including one submitted anonymously by Jefferson himself. Yeah. yeah. So Hoban immigrated to the U.S. after the Revolution, first seeking uh, work in Philadelphia and later in South Carolina, where he designed several buildings, including the state capital of South Carolina in Columbia. Hoban ultimately supervised the construction of both the United States Capitol and the White House. President Washington visited Charleston, South Carolina in May 1791 on his Southern tour and saw under construction the Charleston County Courthouse designed by Hoban. Um, He's supposed to have met with Hoban then. The following year, he summoned the architect to Philadelphia and met him in June 1792. So on July 16, 1792, Washington met with the uh, with commissioners of the federal city to make his judgment in the architectural competition. 
His review is recorded as being brief, and he quickly selected Hoban's submission. Hmm. I don't know. This whole competition sounds a little fishy to me. But as repayment for his design, Hoban was paid a commission for the construction, plus a $500 bonus and a lot in D.C. I bet now, in today's political environment, there will be some sort of congressional investigation about Pro- all this. I'm sure. And I wonder now what Hoban's lot is. Like, what I, lot was he given, and is it something important now, or is know. it just like a vacant okay. lot? So the stuff that we said that we, we need to cover a little bit, it, it's it's all that artsy-fartsy stuff. So, Kim, a lot of it has to do with, like, French words. So, Kim, <laughs> you're going to have to do this section. Okay. All right. I will do my best. Uh, my French is a little rusty, but I will do my best. All right, so the building has classical inspiration sources that can be found in the Roman architect Vitruvius or in Andrea Palladio styles. Oh, we're just getting started. The first official White House guide, published in 1962, suggested a link between Hoban's design for the South Portico and Chateau de Rastignac, a neoclassical country house located in La Bachellerie in the Dordogne region of France and designed by Maturin Salat. And this is exactly why <laughs> you are covering this part. And I'm probably me, still butchering these I can't words. Even, I can't even hardly say the word I-D-E-A. So if you live in a French-speaking country, I apologize. Construction on the French house was initially started before 1789, interrupted by the French Revolution for 20 years, and then finally built in 1812 to 1817. The theoretical link between the two houses has been criticized because Hoban actually never visited France. Um, Supporters of a connection posit that Thomas Jefferson, during his tour of Bordeaux in 1789, viewed Salah's architectural drawings at the École Spéciale d'Architecture, which is basically the French way of saying the special school of architecture. Uh, And then on his return to the United States, he then shared the influence with Washington, Hoban, Monroe, and Benjamin Henry Latrobe. So one way or another, Thomas Jefferson was bound and determined that his fingerprints were going to be all over the White House. Well, construction of the White House began when they laid the cornerstone on October 13th, 1792. There was no formal ceremony. They just... They just started, I guess. And Which that kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Like, they really, maybe they just didn't care and realize the significance of all this. But yeah. so they just started. The main residence, as well as foundations of the house, were, were built largely by enslaved and free African laborers, as well as employed Europeans. Much of the other work on the house was performed by immigrants, and many of them at this time didn't even have a U.S. citizenship at this point. The sandstone walls were erected by Scottish immigrants who were employed by Hoban, as were the high-relief rose and garland decorations above the north entrance and the fish-scale pattern beneath the pediments of the window hoods. There are some conflicting stories as to where the sandstone used in the construction of the White House came Mm -hmm. from. Some reports say they got the sandstone from the Croatian island of Brock, specifically, what's that? Uh, I that's not French. Pusisica. Pusisica. I don't know. Wherever. From Got lots of from, accents. From a Croatian island quarry, whose stone <laughs> was used to build the ancient Roman palace of Emperor Diocletian. Diocletian. Okay. Other researchers believe limestone from the island was actually used in the 1902 renovations 
and not in the original construction. So you think, I, I would think now all this stuff would be well documented, but at the time, I guess they just, they, you know, let's just start building here. I'm going to lay the cornerstone right now. Yeah. Others say the original sandstone simply came from Aqua Creek in Stafford County, Virginia. This sounds more reasonable because of the cost. Remember, we were just getting out of the American Revolution as we covered. It was expensive. It was, yeah, to yeah. import this from overseas at, at that more, point. That sounds more realistic. Yeah, so that sounds more realistic. Because, I mean, we covered a lot about how we, we were the broke. country was in debt and, and broke at this point. So the original construction took over eight years at a cost of $232,371.83. Holy cow, how much is it valued at today? Equal to about $3.5 million. Three million five hundred thousand six hundred thirteen today. That's pretty good because it's valued at four hundred million. Yeah, according to the Zestimate on Zillow. Yeah. (laughs) Even though construction was finished, the White House was ready for occupancy around November first, eighteen hundred. Shortages of material and labor forced changes in the plans that were originally developed by Lafont for the palace. So the the final design was. Five times smaller than what LaFont had originally planned. Oh, yeah. he's a grandiose thinker. Yeah. The finished building contained only two main floors instead of the plan three, and a less costly brick served as the lining for the stone facades. When construction was finished, now this will get you because this is going to go across what we've always kind of thought and learned in school. When construction was finished, the sandstone walls were whitewashed with a mixture of lime, rice, glue, and a lead giving the house its familiar color and the name the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that it was painted with lead. Uh, just throwing it out there. Um, the building was originally called the President's Palace, the Presidential Mansion, or the President's House, which sounds a lot less formal. Um, and the earliest stories of the public calling it the White House were recorded in 1811. A story came out that during the rebuilding of the structure after the burning of Washington, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure, um, white paint was applied to mask the burn damage it had suffered, giving the building its namesake, color, and name. And that's the story I always heard. But we just heard that it was actually because the walls had been whitewashed and whitewashed and whitewashed originally. And eventually, yes, they did just paint it with lead paint. Um, but it was that whitewash was intended to kind of settle into the cracks and well, the, crevices. The lead was in part of that whitewash. Yeah, it was intended yeah. to just kind of settle into the cracks and crevices and age naturally, but they just did it like all the time. And so it just eventually kind of just turned it white. Um, the name Executive Mansion was used officially until President Theodore Roosevelt, or was used unofficially, I'm sorry, until President Theodore Roosevelt established the formal name by having White House Washington engraved on the stationery in 1901. The current letterhead and wording arrangement, the White House with the word Washington centered beneath, goes back to Franklin D. Uh, Although the building was not completed until years after the presidency of George Washington, there are rumors that the name may have derived from Martha Washington's home, the White House Plantation in Virginia, where George had courted the First Lady. Now, on to some famous stuff. On Saturday, November 1st, 1800, John Adams became the first president to live in the building. The very next day, he wrote his wife, Abigail, quote, I pray heaven to bestow the best of blessings on this house and all that shall hereafter inhabit it. May none but, the, but honest and wise men ever rule under this roof. 
And I question whether or not people say awesome things like that now because it doesn't seem like they do. But anyway, President Franklin D. Roosevelt. Neil Neil Armstrong did? That was not now. That was like, what, 40 years ago? At least more than that. Anyway, um, President Roosevelt had Adam's blessing carved into the mantle in the state dining room. And Adams lived in the house only a short time before Thomas Jefferson moved into the pleasant country residence in 1801. And despite his complaints that the house was too big, <laughs> um, Thomas Jefferson said it was big enough for two emperors, one pope, and the grand llama in the bargain. He started planning on adding to the White House. With Benjamin, Harry Latro- Benjamin Henry Latrobe, he helped lay out the design for the East and West colonies to help conceal the domestic operations of laundry, a stable, and a storage. And if you go, you Google this, you can see where the president's wife would do the laundry, and they would just hang. They had like clotheslines, and they were hanging the laundry in there. Wow, it's great. If you look back at old pictures of the White House, like different, um, especially with the pets, which I think we may or may not talk about, I'm not sure, but I know different people had had different animals and stuff. And it's really interesting to look back at old pictures of the White House and see like goats grazing on the lawn and stuff. Um, anyway, today those colonnades link. My brother's about to raise goats. <laughs> we won't go into that one. Um, today those colonnades link the residents with the East and West Wings. And then in 1814, during the War of 1812, which we'll cover someday, the White House was set on fire by British troops during the burning of Washington in retaliation for attacking and burning Toronto. Much of Washington, D.C. was also burned during the burning of Washington, and the building was destroyed except for the exterior walls, and they had to be torn down and mostly reconstructed because of weakening from the fire and exposure to the elements except for portions of the south wall. The day after the burning of Washington, D.C. by the British troops in 1814, a possible hurricane put out the flames, followed by a tornado that forced the British back to their ships. It became known as the storm that saved Washington. The other storm that saved Washington was Dolly Madison, who saved all of the pictures that are currently in the White House. She may have had some help. Surprisingly, the Marine barracks and the Commandant's house were in fact spared from the burning and destruction. As far as why those two buildings were spared in destruction, that's based a little more on pure speculation. A book on the Marine Corps does reference that the British troops were appreciative of the respectful way that the United States Marines conducted themselves at Blandensburg, thus led them to purposefully not light those buildings on fire. But it's also possible that those buildings were just simply overlooked in the chaos. All right, so many objects were taken from the White House when it was ransacked by British troops, but only two have been rediscovered, or recovered, I'm sorry. Um, Like I said, Dolly Madison is usually given credit for saving all the paintings, but employees and slaves actually are the ones that rescued a painting of George Washington, and in 1939, a Canadian man returned a jewelry box to President Franklin Roosevelt, claiming that his grandfather had taken it from Washington. Some people claim that most of the spoils were lost when a convoy of British ships led by the HMS Fantome sank en route to Halifax off Prospect during a storm on the night of November 24, 1814. And then after the fire, President James Madison resided in the Octagon House from 1814 to 1815, and then the Seven Buildings from 1815 to the end of the term. Now, I had never heard of the Seven Buildings, so I did a little bit of research 
And they're basically just seven townhouses that are constructed at the corner of Pennsylvania Avenue and 19th Street. Um, So, you know, he just was basically living in guest quarters at that time. Now, meanwhile, both architect Benjamin Henry Latrobe and Hoban contributed to the design and oversight of the reconstruction, which lasted from 1815 until 1817. So he worked on the building twice. Yeah, he did. Um, The South Portico was constructed in 1824 during the James Monroe presidency, and the North Portico was built six years later. They just keep adding to it. They still do, I think. Yeah. And even though Latrobe proposed similar porticos before the fire in 1814, both porticos were built as designed by Hoban. So he still had his hand in the building. And an elliptical portico at Chateau de Rastignac in La Bachellerie, France, with nearly identical curved stairs, is thought to be the source of inspiration due to its similarity with the South Portico. And although this matter is one of a lot of debate... Italian artisans who were brought to Washington to help in constructing the U.S. Capitol carved the decorative stonework on both porticos. So by the time the Civil War started, the White House had really become overcrowded. You know, we talked about that. It was like the staff, like with what Washington had. Well, the the presidents keep adding to it, I guess. But, you know, as government got bigger, they needed more staff. So whatever. But anyway, (laughs) by the time the Civil War came... The White House was pretty overcrowded. The location of the White House was even questioned. It was just north of a canal and a swamp. And if you go to D.C., you can see how that is because you can see like out to the Potomac River yeah. and Smoky Bottom and all that stuff. So, um, they, so they questioned even where it was built. It was this made the location ripe for malaria and other healthy conditions. Now, at that time, malaria was not associated with mosquitoes until around the 1880s. But it was a known disease and thought to be caused by bad air. So people were getting bit by the mosquitoes and getting mm, malaria, but they yeah. didn't attribute it. Was, it like called swamp fever or something. Yeah, like that. maybe so. And uh, but you know, it was they just thought it was caused. You know, the illness was caused by bad air, like mm-hmm. living around a swamp or something like that. Yeah. Brigadier General Nathaniel Mishler was tasked to come up with solutions to these concerns. You know, f- you know go figure this out, General. <laughs> he suggested abandoning the use of the White House as a residence and designed a new estate for the first family of Meridian Hill in Washington, D.C. Well, <laughs> Yeah, let's just abandon this thing that we well, spent all this time working on. Yeah, well, it had been burned once. So, well, anyway, <laughs> Congress, they didn't like that, and they rejected the plan. Maybe politics uh, were just as slimy, and Congress thought, let's leave it there. Maybe the president will catch <laughs> malaria or something. <laughs> just saying. Maybe not. Maybe it was money. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it was know. the fact that they just had spent a bunch of money rebuilding. Yeah, them. I don't know. Anyway. But it wouldn't surprise me. Anyway, another site they considered was Metropolitan's View. Today, that is the campus of Catholic University of America. When Chester A. Arthur took office in 1881, he ordered renovations to the White House to take place as soon as the recently widowed Lucretia Garfield had moved out. Garfield only held office for 200 days until he was shot on July 2nd and died on September 19th, 1881. Now, Garfield's assassin, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. I think it's Charles Guiteau. Part of his brain is being preserved at the College of Physicians in Philly. 
It's not even spooky October. Uh, no, I started spooky season a, a month early because 2020 has been a rough year for everybody. Um, Gaito's bones and more of his brain, as well as Garfield's backbone and a few ribs, are kept at the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Silver Spring, Maryland. Why they decided they need to preserve this guy's brain in two different locations, the president's backbone and some ribs. study it. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> Duh. President Arthur inspected the work almost nightly and made several suggestions. Louis Comfort Tiffany was asked to send selected design, you know, of Tiffany. Is it that, like, so it is yeah, that Tiffany? Yeah, it's that Tiffany. Cool. Was asked to send selected designers to assist. Over 20 wagon loads of furniture and household items were removed from the building and sold at public auction. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine yeah. getting a piece of the president's house at public auction? All that was saved were the bus portraits of John Adams and Martin Van Buren. Wow. A proposal was made to build a new residence south of the White House, but nobody supported that idea. In the fall of 1882, work was done on the main corridor, including tinting the walls, pale olive, and adding squares of gold leaf, and decorating the ceiling in gold and silver, and color, colorful traceries woven a spell USA, so we're USA. About, so, so now we're getting fancy. Yeah. The Red Room, and there's pictures of this. There's pictures of, of this. Sure there are. Tiffany, yeah. So the room was painted a dull Pomeranian red, and its ceiling was decorated with gold, silver, and copper stars and stripes of red, white, and blue. Could you imagine, like, in a regular person's house? Yeah. <laughs> a 50-foot jeweled, Tiffany glass screen supported by limitation marble columns replaced the glass doors that separated the main corridor from the north vestibule. In 1891, First Lady Carolyn Harrison proposed major extensions to the White House, including a national wing on the east for historical art gallery and a wing on the west for official functions. A plan was drawn up by Colonel Theodore A. Bingham, which took Harrison's proposal these plans were ultimately rejected, but I just wonder, again, how much politics actually played in these decisions. Probably everything. I just, uh, this is mind-blowing to me. The fact that you're like, oh, let's just add a wing. It's crazy to me. Now, electricity was first installed in the White House in 1891, and it was such a new concept that famously, President Benjamin Harrison and his wife both refused to touch light switches. I'm not going to touch that. Due to their fear <laughs> of electrocution. That's why they needed more of a staff. It is. The White House staff had to follow them around and turn the lights off and on for them. So this is like the opposite of your dad being like, oh, hey, you don't pay the electric bill. Oh, Butler, would you turn the light on? <laughs> right? Butler, turn the light off. <laughs> Now, after Edison built his first electrical generator in 1879, the White House installed a generator in 1891 to power what is today Eisenhower's executive office now, building. I think we need to say, I think they had good reason con for concern about this. It was... Yeah, I mean, electric electricity was a relatively new indoor phenomenon, but, so... You know, there, there was one point, I think it was a few years later, that they were looking for a way to... Uh, for the death penalty instead of hanging people. Mm -hmm. And I think they actually, you know, they're, they're trying to decide between Edison and someone else, which to use the electric chair or a way to do it. And oh, Edison proposed, and they electrocuted an elephant. What? Yeah, they electrocuted an elephant to prove that it would work. 
But that um, has nothing to do with the White oh. House. And I think that was a few years <laughs> after 1891. All right. So if you're interested in elephant electrocution, go hit, hit Google or something. I don't know. But um, anyway. So uh, they, they were right to be worried. I guess they were. Um, so Benjamin But it's kind of wrong making someone else turn your lights on. Well, wires were strung across the White House lawn with switches in every room to cut the current. And with Benjamin Harrison and his wife Caroline residing in the White House at the time, they were the first to experience a powered White House. And given the electricity was so new, they were just cautious with the electrical switches. <laughs> so cautious, in fact, that White House staff was in charge of turning the power on and off in every room. Yep. In 1902, Theodore Roosevelt hired McKim, Meade, and White to carry out expansions and renovations in a neoclassical style suited to the building's architecture. They, I think they were trying to return it back to a get it out of that gaudy look that yeah, it was the becoming. red, white, and blue stars. Yeah, and so they removed the Tiffany screen and all the Victorian additions. Charles McKim himself designed and managed the project, which gave more living space to the president's large family by removing a staircase in the West Hall and moving executive office staff from the second floor of the residence into the new West Wing. There was a TV show called The West Wing. There was. President William Howard Taft enlisted the help of architect Nathan C. Wythe to add additional space to the West Wing, which included the addition of the Oval Office that we know today. In 1925, Congress enacted legislation allowing the White House to accept gifts of furniture and art for the first time. Oh my gosh. So come decorate my house. From now people. on, we are no longer donating our furniture to Goodwill. It's going to the White House. It's going to the White House. The Coolidge. And family. I want people to donate their furniture to our house. No, we don't. No, no, that no. Ignore that. Um, the Coolidge family had been given a raccoon as a gift for their Thanksgiving table, and I love this story. But the family fell in love with the animal just in the nick of time, and they named her Rebecca. She lived at the White House for the duration of the Coolidge presidency and was even taken on trips with the family. However, when the family left the White House, they sent her to live among the other raccoons at they, the zoo. They re-gifted the raccoon. I don't know why that fits in right there, but I love that story so much. Well... The West Wing was damaged again by fire on Christmas Eve, 1929. I guess that party got a little out of hand. While Herbert Hoover was president, Hoover and his aides moved back into the White House on April 14, 1930. There's a lot of fire in the White House. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, <laughs> and not all that electric they were installing, right. probably. You know, so in in the 1930s, a second story was added, as well as a larger basement for the White House staff. And President Franklin Roosevelt had the Oval Office moved to its present location adjacent to the Rose Garden. Kim, I hope you don't get any ideas about remodeling our house like, oh, like the presidents and the gosh. first ladies did. So, do. yeah, they just randomly added on, added gold leaf to everything, painted stars and stripes and gaudy colors on the, everything. Take the Tiffany wall out. Oh, yeah. But the best story, and this will be our last one for the night. The Secret Service has always looked for ways to keep the White House as safe as possible for the first family, and often that means advancement in technology, including a suggestion to FDR's administration that machine guns and tanks be placed around the property in case of attack. The Secret Service also suggested at the same time that maybe the White House could be painted camouflage, but thankfully Roosevelt declined 
all proposed charges. Well, okay, so you got to remember, World War II was just kicking off with all this. So, you know, and that's their job is to protect the president. So I get it, but but they were it's just, a big house. It's gonna show up. They've they've paint, but not if they paint it right. Mm. Paint it from the sky, and mm. then then the enemy bombers can't fly over and see it. I yeah. have my doubts. But, that that's their job to try to think of ways and we to protect the president, them. and so that's what thank they were you, doing. Thank you, Secret Service. Yeah. So, who actually belonged to the United States Treasury? For those okay. of you that didn't know. So, I think we're going to end the show right here. Like, we, if we kept going, it would be well over an hour, and I yeah, think most people are going to lose it. Yeah. So, let's just stop right here for the night. We'll right. take it up again, and the White House will have two episodes. Yep. In, and in this. we actually, I'm super excited. We are recording an interview tomorrow that'll be on the following week. Um, I'm so excited for this interview. Uh, no, it'll be two weeks. Well, not next week, the week after. Okay. Um, it is a local interview, um, and that's all I'm going to tell you. Okay. It's a very spirited show. All right. Anything else going on in the world right now? Oh, well, there's we, a lot we, going on yeah, in the we, world, we, we but just, not that we, just, we need to talk about. Well, we just had the hurricane down in the, uh, yeah. the southern part of the United States. Thank a lot you of guys people down in Louisiana. Yeah, a lot of people are hurting down there right now. Mm-hmm. Keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Absolutely. And just let's just you know we, we we've got to get to the point that we can get along, and we've got to stop all the violence and everything that's going on here in the country and. What's going on in our cities? We we've just all got to learn how to live together and work together. And there's a lot of thoughts on that, and we're not going to get into that because we we don't want to get political. But we just a lot of stuff needs to happen right now. Um, also, from my point of view, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of the parents and teachers who are navigating weirdness uh, through school right at the moment. Kids who don't know what's going on. Parents, you are crushing it in spite of the fact that you may feel totally unprepared. I guarantee you are doing a great job. So I got to throw this in there. I had a thought. Oh, no. Since teachers and kids are all now getting used to... Oh, no. I know what this thought is. It's a terrible thought. Having class on Zoom (laughs) or virtual classes, there should be no excuse for a snow day anymore. You are a terrible human being. So I propose... I propose... Turn your radios off right now. That when it snows... Don't listen. That when it snows, (laughs) that the teachers Zoom all their classes to all the kids. That is my proposal. wrong. Snow days are a rite of passage. They're old-fashioned, and they're not needed anymore. Those kids need to be learning. Do you value the lives of your students? Because... Snow days are as much for the teacher as they are for the kids. And so, any teacher that argues otherwise is lying to you. So I posted that on Facebook, and you should see some of the rude comments <laughs> that even my own daughter sent <laughs> back to me. Your, your own daughter that's trying to teach four little girls at home right now? That yeah. daughter? <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, you guys, keep your heads up. Um, try to find joy in the little things. Help your fellow man and woman. And uh, and just thanks for tuning in every week. Be good to each other. Yeah, be nice. And, all right. And thanks for um, all the love that you give to us. Um, I I don't think we're going to do our sources this week because I don't know what we're going to cover this week and what we're going to cover next week. So if you really want to know where we found our information, you're going to have to tune in next week and listen to the end of that episode uh, to find out where we got our source information. But in the meantime, um, you can find us on Facebook 
at an hour of your life. You can find us on Instagram at an hour of your life, and you can find us on Twitter at a lost hour, or you can find um, email us at a lost hour at gmail.com. If you have any cool facts about the White House, um, if you've been there and met the president, let us know. Yeah. So, as the audience, as the listenership is coming back, as more people are traveling and yeah, more people are working back, like that, everybody. yeah, uh, help us out, share it. If, if you enjoy the podcast, tell your friends about us and let them listen to us a little bit. Um, Absolutely. Maybe, maybe go on some of the platforms and leave us a review, but only if you're going to leave a good review, like yeah. five stars or ten stars or something like that. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, anyway, help us out here because... And, and really, honestly, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. We really appreciate you. We appreciate it because we do have fun doing this. We absolutely so, do. Anyway, from our studios in Sugar Creek Township... Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Tune in next week for some great sources.